Hello and welcome back to another episode of the CrossFit Herald podcast, episode 71. Today we've got Jack Stum with us. Jack, thank you for joining us. Hello. Um, first question that goes out as always is, uh, is why CrossFit Harrow? Well, um, so I moved to Edgware in March last year. Okay. I was looking to find a new gym. Um, there was obviously regular gyms in the vicinity. There was a boxing club as well that I was looking at, but I'd done... I'd, I'd been at CrossFit in Wilsdon before. Okay, yeah, yeah. In 2019, the summer of 2019. So I did a bit of CrossFit in the off season between my football seasons. Um, and then, but I wanted, it was something that I thought I want to continue long-term. So yeah, I moved to Edgware and CrossFit Harrow was fairly close. It's only like a 20 minute drive. Okay. And particularly with the morning classes, no traffic. So yeah, I basically, I came down here. I remember having a chat with Keys. Yeah. Um, I think I did one on-ramp session before lockdown hit. Uh, so it was, it was bad timing in a way, but then obviously you guys set up certain yeah. personal trip, one-to-one sessions and outdoors and whatnot. So yeah, that, that's how I started. I'm actually quite pleased that you, you stuck with it because for, for some, some people were in the same position as you and didn't stick with it. Um, and I know it was bad timing, but it's probably, it was like a test almost of like, not character, but it was a test of your, um, commitment to your own fitness, I guess, yeah. really, because it would yeah. have been an easy cop out. Absolutely. To be like, oh, lockdown, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, that, that's, that's good. Um, so you, uh, you said about, about boxing. Um, yeah. Is so that I've, something you've been into? I've, yeah, I used to box um, at South Oxy Boxing okay. Gym. When I used to live in Rickmansworth. Um, and then I've gone to a few different gyms. I went to All Stars for a bit. Stonebridge Boxing Club. Oh, I've, I've um, heard of All Stars, actually. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. That's quite a good, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, was, yeah, it's near, I think it's near Kensal Green. Um, and then yeah, I went to Stonebridge Boxing Club for a bit, which was a good experience. Like you definitely meet different people to who I would normally meet at work and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, I've, I've not been into boxing for probably a year, year and a half now. And is it more the social side, like just the training element of it? Uh, yeah, I've ne- I think I've sparred once or twice, um, but I go mainly for fitness. Like football is the main sport. So okay. for me, if I can go boxing twice a week, it's great cardio, core strength, fitness. Um, yeah, that's the, and that's the reason I do CrossFit as well. It's sort of all roads lead to, to, yeah, to football. For that you, was the, yeah. That was my main sport, yeah. but it still is when I... Ha, have you ever watched um, Boxing in the Flesh? No, I was I was actually going to go last Saturday to Joe Joyce v. Takam. Um, okay. So I'm a big fan of Joe Joyce and tickets were still available, but I couldn't find... None of my mates were interested in going. I had one mate who lives in Bristol and he was saying, next time Joe Joyce fights, let's go. Then him and his missus had a weekend away in Devon on the same day. So, no, I haven't. Have, have you been? I've, I've seen it in the flesh. And yeah. up until that point, I'd never really um, given the credit that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, it, it's, you are in awe of, yeah. of them when they're in the ring. Like the intensity, um, it's hard. Like getting hit is hard. Um, I went to, uh, I actually went to watch, I was at York Hall. In Bethnal okay. Green, yeah. Um, yeah. I went there was like loads of undercards. I can't remember the fights exactly, mm. um, but it was one of the best experience, one of one of the best live sports I've ever seen. Mm. Um, it's because it like makes you, you appreciate the, it. The, the commitment sport. and dedication. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a saying they used to say at, at Stonebridge Boxing Club. The, the coaches would say, "You can play cricket, you can play football. You don't you don't play boxing. Yeah, like it's That's not true. a game. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, life and death at times. Yeah, can be." Um, Okay, so um, let's talk about career-wise. I've got you down as a senior construction subcontract buyer. That's yeah. a mouthful. What, yeah, yeah. What, what is a senior construction subcontract buyer? <laughs> so I get asked this so many times like by friends, people I meet, whatever. So 
I work for a construction company, a contractor. So our, take, for example, our project at the moment is building the new Brent Cross West train station. Okay. So we're building it completely from, straps, from scratch. All that is there now is the current tracks on the Thameslink line. Um, so my job is to sort of sit down with the project team and devise how we're going to build that station. So for example, we'll need piling for the groundworks, the foundations. We'll need um, concrete slabs for the platform, then the finishes on the platforms. We'll need the steel structure for the building. Then on the steel structure, you do your cladding, your glazing, your roofing. So we divvy that up into these packages. Right. And my job is to then go out to the market, to all the specialists who undertake that work and get bids in and negotiate with them, come in. Best prices yeah, for... Well, best quality as well. Quality yeah. and price. But yeah. with the client, it's always price. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And then, um, yeah. Because there was a bit of stick, obviously, with the cladding and stuff with the events that happened. Yes. Uh, yeah. In, I think, 2019, 2018, with Grenfell, Grenfell and stuff. yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, that's been in the paper quite a lot in the news and stuff about Massively. the cladding. So has that become like a big thing in your company um, um yeah that- so i'd i'd never actually worked on the cladding package prior to this one so i don't know if it was gonna, it would have been scrutinized more or less before but yeah there's so much emphasis now on fire rating safety rating um and yeah the, th- the thing about grenfell is like there's still buildings out there that have the same cladding on yeah like, there's one in edgeware i think it's is it premier house by the Broadwalk yeah. center that has the grenfell cladding, oh, right. which for me is it's disgusting. Like, yeah, especially you in that line of work. Like to the average yeah, person, they wouldn't, yeah. you know, day to day person wouldn't know, but in your line of work. Yeah, um, and it is worrying. And then obviously, yeah, like one of the issues with Grenfell was that the tests were falsified. So when you're looking at data sheets now of cladding, you're like, is this a false? Yeah. But there's no way in te- know, unless no. you go and test it physically. So yeah, but I think people have probably learned their lessons like don't play around yeah. with people's lives. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what kind of pushed you into this role? Is it something you've always been in construction? Have you always wanted to work in construction? Uh, that's such a weird one. So my dad has always worked in construction. So growing up, he, he was a project manager. So he would work away for the week and stuff. And then I, I did my A-levels and I really liked economics. I just got really into that. I wasn't the best at it. And I went to uni to do economics and sort of became better at it. But then whilst I was at uni, my flatmate, he was on a course for construction management. And obviously you talk about what course were you doing, your dissertation. And I, was, I thought that sounds more interesting. Uh, obviously my dad had worked in construction. So I thought maybe that is something I want to go into. But ironically, my dad had always said, never go into construction. <laughs> it's like long hours, hard graft, but he, he was in a different role to me, I guess. So yeah, I, I thought I've got an economics degree. I want to get into construction. Like how? Because most of the roles at engineering, yeah, quantity surveying, etc. Um, but yeah, there was there was a grad scheme on offer for procurement, and they were like they wanted to look for people with business economics degrees. Um, and yeah, I, I got in through that grad scheme in 2016, I think it was. Uh, and yeah, I I love my job. Like, I really do. I know it sounds so cliche. No, but that but, is, but it's so good. I feel lucky that I can say yeah. that. Not a lot of people can say that, that they say they really enjoy their job. They love going to work. I, I, you know, I'm fortunate to speak to quite a lot of people and not everyone is in that same position. Mm. Like some people don't enjoy going to work and see it as almost like a bit of a chore because they want to fund their lifestyle or, you know, got bills to pay and whatever it is. But one thing that's kind of struck me the last, let's say four or five, maybe more years is Mm. consistently doing things that you're 
happy in. Yes. Because that yeah. has a better, pro- like, uh, you're, you're, you're more productive at work, you're more productive day to day, friendships, relationships, like you're in a better place. Absolutely, massively. Like you spend more time at work than anywhere else. Yeah. It has to be. Like I've, and yeah, I've, I've worked jobs like, I remember when I finished uni, I was a manual labourer on, on the site. That's a hard job, I've done that. That's a very I've grafted, yeah. And like, so now I, I can appreciate like, it, there's, there are some difficult jobs out there, mm. um, which I think is why I enjoy what I do probably more so. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. What, um, what kind of, uh, what other, have you, so all jobs that you've taken have always been around that line? No, no, that was just one example. So, I used to do house removals between uni term times. All right. Um, door knocking for charity signups on direct debit. I worked at Experian when I finished uni after the manual labouring, which was um, a financial analyst role. But I suppose this will all give you, <laughs> was that boring you say? That was awful, yeah. The people I was working with were just very introverted, mathematician type people, which, yeah. I, but I suppose all, all those roles <laughs> in some way has led to like the position that you're in now, because yeah, you'd yeah. need maybe a little bit of everything from those. Yeah, and every, and my dad always used to say like, there's no such thing as a bad experience. Yeah, of like, course. The, what you think at the time is a bad experience, you look back on and think- Teach you those lessons. Like, how did I do that? Or look at how how much I didn't like my life then and yeah. now, and yeah, you use all that to, to grow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and sporting background in school or, or growing up, like have you always been in sports? Yeah, so I've, I've played football like in competitive leagues since I think I was eight at the time. Um, yeah, so it was always football. Like, I'm terrible at cricket. I remember playing as a kid and I was just awful. It was not for me. Ever get into swimming, tennis, anything like that? Oh, sorry, ten- yeah, I used to play tennis as a, when I was young, not at any sort of competitive level. That was more just four of us friends from school when we were about between 10 and 15 would go down. Swimming, I'm awful at. I've never had a swimming lesson in my life. because Self-taught. Well, yeah, my dad taught me. I remember going to a lesson once, and it's probably one of my earliest memories, and I, I locked myself in the cubicle, <laughs> and I wouldn't come out, and I was screaming. And then my dad said, okay, we'll go home. And I came out and went home. It can't, but as a kid, like, it's quite intimidating. Yeah. It can be quite intimidating. It's like, well, not intimidating, it's scary, isn't it? Yeah. Getting I'm, into water that you... Yeah. But now, like, I love the sea and swimming. But yeah, I'm, I'm a weak swimmer, but I don't have the phobia now, let's say. I actually have a very funny story about swimming. Um, yeah. And I'm probably going to get ridiculed for this. Uh, back in primary school, mm-hmm. we used to go to these swimming lessons up the road. Um, as part of our curriculum. And it was like, yeah, who could yeah. swim, go to left, who can't go to right. So having been on holiday abroad, visiting family in Italy and stuff, always going to the sea, I was like, yeah, I, I can swim. So in the swimming pool was a rail from the deep end to the shallow end. Yeah. And uh, so I jumped in, I think her name was Amanda. For some reason, I remember her name being Amanda. Actually, Amanda was like, right, swim. So I held onto the rail, I was like, yeah, we'll do one second. I was pulling myself along the rail. She's like, you can swim now. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, one second. And I'm pulling myself all the, I've managed to pull myself, not swam from the deep end all the way to shallow, shallow end. She's like, you can't swim, can you? I was like, no, I don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, and started taking lessons off that, but now yeah. um, I could swim. But it it's is, I, I found it intim- like scary at the time. And as a child, you're so, you don't want to ever admit you can't yeah, do yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. You're so brave and gung-ho as a child. Yeah, it's, just yeah. Uh, I just didn't want to say that I couldn't swim. Yeah. Um, so football's been a uh, big sport of yours. Yeah. Um, has, you said competitively played? Yeah, yeah. So um, 
growing up, I played for a team called West Bridgeford. Who, okay. Uh, they now have a semi-professional men's side. Um, so yeah, sort of played for them, played in the under-19 side and then went to uni. Okay. And at uni, I, I just played for a Saturday team. I didn't play for the uni, which is probably one of my biggest regrets. regrets. I remember going to the trials and they called me back for the second round, just didn't go. Then my mates started playing. Then the second year, they were like, oh, come along, I went again. And then I just didn't go for the next round of trials. And I had friends who played with me on a Saturday and for the uni. And they kept saying, why don't you come? I just, I enjoyed the Saturday football, I enjoyed that. Like, it's yeah, just, yeah. And also the, the team on a Saturday was a mix of, there was about four or five of us students and the rest were locals from okay. Bristol. And I've, I've, they're still my mates now. Like I speak to them. I was football down. does tend to do that. It brings yeah. me into, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know half the people I know now if I didn't play football. Yeah, so. it's a very social sport. I remember when I used to play, you just, you just know everyone from everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some connection to a team or to a game that's been played or something like that. So you, did you play around Edgware? A uh, long time ago. I've probably stopped playing when I was 21. Oh, okay. 21, uh, around like Harefield way. Oh yeah. Harefield, yeah. yeah. Um, football uh, team that you follow? Mm. Uh, so I'm a Liverpool fan. Liverpool fan. Yeah. Don't see many of those around anymore. <laughs> well, they've all come out. Again, <laughs> um, so you were obviously uh, working, managing football and stuff, but it, it, I mean, that's kind of led you into the fitness that I've always wanted to test fitness, I, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And recently you took part in uh, an ultra, the correct terminology is a 75 mile ultra marathon challenge. Yeah, that was... Why... Did you, like, so, where, why and why, where did it come from? It's, uh, I think this boils down to my sort of borderline obsessive personality. So okay. in lockdown, probably towards the back end of last year or, well, throughout any time, I'll say everyone started going out walking and I'd go on walks with my mates or my partner at the time around the local area. And I, I think I noticed once there's a sign saying Capital Ring and there's, there's a logo on it and it's on like one of the footpath signs. And I just thought, I wonder what that is. So I went home that day, Googled it, and I saw it was this, well, it's between the 75 and 83 miles. No one actually knows because of diversions and closures. Okay. So yeah, it was this circular route around London. And I just fell down a rabbit hole psychologically of becoming obsessed. Like, I've, I've got to do that. I have to do that. Um, so it wasn't like an organized event or anything. It was just me. And at the time, there was a mate who was going to do it, yeah. Charlie. And uh, we basically, yeah, thought, let's do it for charity as well. We studied the route and in the end, Charlie got stuck in Australia due to a COVID lockdown, so he couldn't join. Um, but yeah, I just became obsessed. I was meticulously planning it all, like going out walking and timing myself, like how many miles per hour can I walk? Um, and then I was trying to build into running when obviously because of my knee injury, I started running again. Um, and then a lot of the parks on the route are closed at night. So you have to plan like, where am I going to start and finish? And how can I avoid all the park closures? Uh, where are you going to fill up with water? So would you only do this at, was you doing this at, at night? So I, I started it at just after 6 a.m. in Hendon Park, because that was the only way I could get all the way back around to Hendon Park without any park closures. Wow, so, that, would have, that must have taken you quite a while to figure all this stuff out. Oh yeah, I, so I'd, I walked the route in sections. So every weekend I'd go and do like a quarter of it with a mate or someone. 
uh, so I had an idea of what parks would be open. And this probably cut, this organisation probably comes down to your job role as well, right? Is, is, possibly, yeah. That but, would have required such organisation, like yeah. going out every weekend, doing those quarter routes. I had spreadsheets made. Did you? Literally, yeah, with the times and where taps were and pubs and cafes to fill up. Um, and but well, I say taps. With COVID, all water taps were switched off, which really annoyed me like, massively. yeah I can imagine like Richmond Park I emailed them they said all our taps switched off and for me that was a key like that was a bit of a gap between the last pub cafe and- what was the they just said because of COVID they're closing the taps yeah they don't give an excuse they're just just COVID which, I, th- I do which feel which frustrates me like how is I don't know yeah I can imagine because I think there are a lot of things that are happening and people are like oh COVID and you're like okay but why, why? Yeah, like yeah. it's just used as an excuse where people can get away with it um mm. as that example um so you had these spreadsheets done found out the times of how long it's going to take you certain yeah. places um and you were, you were practicing what, every day or just the weekends um uh, i was practicing daily so i'd i'd do a crossfit workout and then try and go for a run with like eight kilos in a backpack okay to simulate being fatigued and knackered and stuff um but I only had about two months of running before the, the day of the marathon. So it was hard to get much running training in. So it was mostly yeah. walking at a fast pace. Um, 75 miles ultra marathon challenge. How yeah. long did that take? So it was just under 22 hours. My, I really wanted to do it in less than 22 hours and I beat it by four minutes. Wow. So I was- Chuffed. I was ecstatic, yeah. And yeah, so close that four minutes over that length of time, It's because I did see obviously you post socially about it. did you have you said about people joining did you get people join you on the yeah road? so I had mates who joined at sections so they'd come and like bring me a bottle of water um, well that was all they'd oh that was all I wanted from them because I had a had a bag which had like flasks of water in and my energy bars and gels because yeah I, I, I was very like obsessed about what I was taking on board. Well, that was going to be one of my next um, questions, yeah, um, about your intake of food throughout that 22. Yeah, because you hear stories about people throwing up because they can't handle it. So I took just easy to digest gels, bars. And I, I did half the route the week before to test sort of what I could take on. And that, that was hard, but I didn't feel sick or anything. But at the end of that, so I did 40 miles the Friday before and I couldn't walk. And I, I seriously thought about I don't know if I can do almost double that length. Um, there was times I was considering maybe telling everyone like, I can't do it, I'm gonna have to do it in two sections. But yeah, in the end, I just, that, I, would, I guess, that would eat away at me. And yeah, I'd of course. To, I'd have to do the whole thing at some point in my life. And I just thought I can't, I can't be bothered it, to go through all this again. So I may as well. Yeah, I bet it, it, as, as much as exciting, it would have been quite draining as well, right? As in yeah. the organization, the testing Absolutely. of everything. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not easy. It was expensive. I had to, I had to pay for like a Garmin watch that would last 24 hours. Cause this doesn't I had to buy the hydration vest, which was a hundred quid. Um, there's all sorts of random stuff. What was your, uh, did you do like some sort of carb loading or anything like that a few days before, or did you just um, treat it normally? No, the night before, I made a conscious effort the day before not to have any dairy. Okay. Sometimes when I have dairy and I come to work out, go for a run, I'll throw up. Um, so yeah. You, that could, I mean, have you ever found that you, you might, have you ever tested being lactose intolerant? 
Uh, not to the test. I, I guess most humans are to some extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, it only comes on if I'm pushing myself to the limit. Um, but yeah, so the, the night before, I had a uh, basically chicken, broccoli, tomato, and pasta. Just like fresh veg, no sauces or nothing. Um, and that, yeah, that seems. And then in the morning, I knew I had to try. I was going to try and eat three slices of toast with peanut butter, but I was so nervous. I couldn't. I got. I had one and a half slices. I could not eat, which is pathetic. Like it's not much food at all. Well, yeah, I, I would say that. Really nervous. You know, I, I was expecting. You know, I was expecting you to be like, yeah. The last the few days before, I, you know, I had X amount of pasta or rice. I carb loaded for a few days. The morning before, I had like a, an oat based breakfast. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> no, no. But you, I mean, you got through it. You had the energy to get through. Yeah. Yeah, half, so halfway on the real thing, I started to like suffer massively with, it was like the top of my foot was agony, which at the time I didn't really know what it was, but I think it was a stress fracture, which can happen if you just ramp up an activity you've never done before. So like walking, running that distance. Um, so yeah, that was, I was, I was close to quitting. So my dad met me for that point and I was saying to him like, I, I don't think I can do this. Oh, right. He was like, well, you we need to decide, do you want to, go to a shop and buy some painkillers and just do it or stop. And I yeah. knew like, if I stopped and I'd have to do it all again, I didn't want to walk that first half or walk run for the fourth time it would be because of doing it in sections, the practice run, the failed attempt. And there's a, there's a section called the Greenway, which is so dull. It's just two or three miles of just a straight tarmac path in East London with nothing to look at. And psychologically, I was—I couldn't put myself through that again. Yeah, it was so, hard. I mean, did you have any music on the way? No, I didn't Nothing. take headphones. So people think I'm mad. But I, a lot of the time, if I go out running or what, I don't listen to music. And for me, headphones would have been another thing to worry about. Like, it's, Batteries it's stupid. And... It's just obsessive, yeah. And I knew that I was only doing like a quarter of it without company. And I don't mind just cracking on and even there were times when my mates joined so two of my good friends James and Tom and I had to say to them I was like I don't want to talk at this stage like so they joined me for the last two legs I said I, I don't want to talk let's just walk and like, they know that I, I'm not saying that out of rudeness it's just mentally I was in a place where you needed to focus big time yeah I just needed to just walk tune in not talk yeah yeah um, am I right in saying that you've done it for a, chari a charity? You've yeah, linked so, it to charity? So I did it for Mind, the mental health charity, and Women's Aid as well. Okay. Um, what made you which, pick those two charities? I think with Mind, it was obviously a lot of people struggled in lockdown, being cooped inside and stuff. Uh, I think we all did, to be honest, to a certain extent. Um, so that was the reason for that. And then Women's Aid, so the route goes through near Clapham where Sarah Everett was uh, kidnapped and murdered and it also goes through front country park where oh yeah there was um, two Nic nicole smallman and beaver henry were murdered as well yeah. last summer um, that was through lockdown as well wasn't it yeah, yeah yeah and that that didn't get much media attention and there was a whole issue with police taking pictures of bodies um and yeah i just thought like violence against women we need to stand as males we probably need to have more of a voice and stand up about that yeah, I mean, I agree, actually. That, that, that The whole kind of social front that came with the Sarah Everett thing, mm -hmm. um, the incident, um, 
how women were displaying their what's the right words how how sometimes they lived in fear yeah of going yeah. out and stuff and mm. i think as males we well i can speak for myself I, I you know you go out you don't i don't feel like i, I fear anything no, when i go no, out no. um but we wouldn't know that we don't we wouldn't know women do because mm. we're obviously not women and they they experience that but we're kind of oblivious to it yeah and what i always think is like at night if we're walking around there's often times where we'd be walking behind a woman yeah and you don't think they think, think you could be bad like we would walk and think oh i'm i'm a nice person like just get mind in your own business they should know nothing will happen but why should they know like yeah yeah they and i obviously after that happened a lot of women spoke out about anyone walking behind them at night they they put their keys in their hands yeah and they I'd... go into um like fight or flight mode just yeah which we would be oblivious to i guess it's quite it's quite a scary world in that sense mm. and like mm. um the male kind of being the superior or deemed to be the superior kind of uh mm. or dominant yeah. dominant um yeah. gender um but hopefully uh that raised awareness um yeah to another you know x amount of people the the chat the the fundraiser that you've done yeah yeah so i guess the awareness you could even say it's more than the money itself. Of course. Like having a male person, I don't want to say a role model because I'm not, but just a male to raise Take that step. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because um, I, I would guess that most people fundraising for women's aid are women. That's, well, that's a guess. I, I don't know. Could be ignorant. But yeah. Yeah. I would, I, out of my mates and challenges that I've done in the past, all of my mates have done, I've never noticed us do women's aid. Yeah. I, to be honest, I, I've never encountered another male to to do that mm. um so hats off um you had a knee injury you had yes. an acl reconstruction yeah yeah so, how long ago was that so the the operation itself was august last year so okay almost a year but the the injury was about five years ago right and it's been like just so frustrating so it happened it was after uni moved back to Nottingham for a bit and I was playing for a team there. We had a pre-season friendly and yeah, just got my knee blown out from the side. Um, and I had a year off then, just went through physio and they sort of- How did you find that with not being able to train to the, to the phys physicality that you were before or to the intensity? Um, well, weirdly enough, after the, after the first year of recovering, I felt fine. I felt brilliant. So I moved down to London. I was playing for OxyJets, who yeah. probably the, one of the highest standards yeah. I played at. And I felt brilliant. Um, and then sort of over the next two, three years, it just started to get worse again. And I'd be like, after training or a match, I'd, my knee would be so sore. And I'd just do, like, do you think that's maybe because of the, like, the level of attention you pay to the rehab? Were you, I mean, were you still absolutely. doing it or were you just kind of... You so that's, that's the key, yeah. So during the... 13 months I think it was of rehab I was so focused on that then as soon as you get told you can play football again Forget it just goes injury, out the window yeah. you just go back to playing football going to the gym but not focusing on the leg in particular so it just wears down yeah yeah, yeah. I, I was going to just say that I don't necessarily think that's uh, a foot, football injury and I think a lot of people do that you you get injured yeah you spend time generally people don't but hopefully most people would start to spend time fixing that injury yeah as soon as they let's say become more abled and injury free mm -hmm. they forget all the stuff that they've just been practicing or trying to reconstruct yeah. in order to get better yeah um so it was becoming too painful yeah so it was in the, the 
the time I realized that I, would, I need to get this looked at, it was in lockdown last year at some point last summer when, uh, when there, there was no gyms or anything. So I was doing a lot of stuff at home. So it was like just body weight exercises. And uh, I think I was doing lunges. It was either jumping lunges or normal lunges or both. Anyway, my knee kept just like collapsing and it would be agony. So I, I realized I needed something done. Luckily through work, we have Booper Healthcare. So I thought I may as well use that. So yeah, I went to get it seen. They said that the ACL was so stretched that it wasn't doing anything. It was basically like not having an ACL and that playing football really shouldn't have been on the cards at okay. all. But I'd been playing without knowing that I shouldn't be playing essentially. Wow. So I was probably doing more damage to it. Um, then yeah, they did the operation, which they said probably 12 months full rehab. So we're coming up to 12 months now. Which is insane because um, let's say footballers in the Prem, mm. their ACL repair recovery would be a lot less than 12 months. Yeah. Obviously the treatment's very different, yeah. but um, 12 months is a long time to be Massively. out. Yeah, and like, it sounds cliche, but like, I, I love football. I absolutely yeah. love playing it. I prefer playing it to watching it and supporting it because of all the issues and the, the fans who aren't true football fans that get involved. But when, you play, when you're playing at the level, like grassroots level, people are there because they enjoy the sport. Yeah, They're not there to cause trouble, abuse people. Um, but the thing is, most people, I would probably say that most people playing football, if not everyone, isn't there mm -hmm. to cause no, trouble. It's no. just purely because you enjoy the sport, you're good yeah. at the sport, yeah. and you get paid well to play the sport if you're lucky yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, but you're right, I think, you know, the, the fan element, I think especially going back to the Euros, mm. we saw that obviously at Wembley, the last few games, mm. um, that people breaking the stadium mm. um, and doing bits like, like that is the, is the sad side to football. Massively, massively. And it, the thing about that Wembley incident is people, like we had Hillsborough, obviously, but that Hillsborough was the police opening the gates. It wasn't fans going in, but obviously the stadium became overcrowded. Fans breaking into Wembley, that's, that, is, that could be killing people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like luckily it was at reduced capacity because of COVID or whatever. But if that, that 90,000 people in and you have however many more thousands coming in, yeah. but that's how people die. Yeah. I, I guess, you know what, until you had said that, I never looked at it in that way. Mm, and that for me, like, yeah. yeah. It, it's strong, it's, it, it's quite sad. Um, I hadn't looked at it like that, but that's actually very, mm. very true. Overcrowded. It's not just you getting in for a free game, it's... Other people's lives. people's lives at risk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, so the AECL reconstruction mm. went pretty smooth. Yeah. 12 months worth of rehab. At yeah. what point within those 12 months were you like, right, I was going to go and do the ultramarathon? Was it... Because obviously God, you were... so I started planning it in... Oh, January, either January or late last year when I, when I was sort of hardly walking. Well, I was walking... So I was still very injured at that point. Um, so you were only, you, you said August, you, yeah, yeah so yeah. September, so only like five, five or five so months, months in. Yeah, so I, there was a time I started running in October and then I had a setback, so I had to stop again. Um, but in my mind, I always knew like, if I plan this for July, that's- The a target. Good, yeah, exactly, yeah, it's a goal to achieve that I want to be running and walking fast by then, like without a limp or anything. Um, so yeah, and it's important in anything. If you set yourself a goal, a target, yeah. more than likely you will achieve it because it's that you don't accountability. Want to fail. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. saying I want, and especially 
I think it helps a lot of people if you tell people about the things that you, I, I know there's a, there's a whole thing you should work in silence sometimes and do that mm, but mm. if you're someone that is known to not achieve mm. if you mm. tell someone or tell people that this is your goal and this is what you want to do yeah. you now have the responsibility of of yeah. completing that because it. you told those people and that yeah I suppose that links in so whilst I said I was planning it from December January I didn't actually set up the fundraising page and start publicizing it until it's probably like May because I didn't want to put this goal out there and then too early without having planned it all. Yeah. And, but when I planned everything and I knew my recovery was going well, that's when I could start advertising it. It becomes real then as well, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I had mates, like one of my best mates, I've known him since 2011 at uni, so 10 years now. We were at the pub. Uh, and he was like, you can't do it in 24 hours. I said, I can. He says, you can't. And he said, I'll donate you a hundred quid if you do it in 24 hours. He was that certain. We shook on it the next day when we were sober. He was like, yeah, I'll stick to that. And, oh, uh, fair play. So that was motivation for me. Yeah, yeah. I was like, get... I'm doing it. I said, I'll do it in less than 22 hours. I was yeah, that yeah. confident, and, which I did. So um, and he, he, he kept his word, he donated the hundred Good, pounds. fair play to him. So, yeah. did, did at any point in the challenge your knee give you any? No, that no? was the best thing. The, my, my good knee, my right knee was a little bit sore at the end of it. But my left knee was absolutely fine, which for me was probably one of the biggest wins out of it. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the aim now is to slowly start going back to playing football. Yes. Um, yeah. ha have you experimented in that sense, like the lateral movements, that, that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, so, so I went back to pre-season training on Tuesday. Um, which went well. And then towards the end of the session, I think it was a two hour session, it started to feel just a bit, my whole leg just felt just fatigued, fatigued. because it, it is still weaker, like it's visibly weaker still. Um, but before that, like I'd, I'd got my housemates to come out to the park and help me out with like just throwing a ball, doing some touches, yeah. running backwards, side to side, like you say. Those movements. Because it's very easy to, like, I can come here and I can do box jumps, been doing them for months. Yeah, that's it's obviously just straight. straight yeah. Um, so yeah, I had to sort of start moving about. And then when I, when I trained on Tuesday and we had the sort of a small-sided match at the end, you can't prepare for that because the way you're turning and stuff, you're not even thinking about it. And that's probably that would be the biggest challenge, challenge to yeah. get back to that because it, it's Pitts Hanger Dynamo FC that yes. you uh, play for yes yeah, um, yeah. and uh, starting pre-season they're probably always uh, I guess it's also your pre-season but theirs but they're always going to be looking for players getting people yeah, in exactly. um, sponsorship sponsorship things yeah, like that yeah. what, um, what, so what what would you say some of the barriers that like in f at that level of football of like getting either getting people through the door or getting a turnout for is there you know you still got those consistent um, amount of people coming through yeah we've ne like we've never struggled to put teams out not since i've joined at least i've been there for three years we've had a first team and a reserve team we've both been successful like the reserves won a cup and had two promotions consecutive promotions and the first team have been pushing for promotion um they're in the fa vars a couple of years ago but i'd so player-wise, we do attract a lot of players. Like we have social media handles and people will message. So on Tuesday, we had, I think, five lads down who had messaged on Instagram and come down. But the, the main barrier for us is, is funding. So the team was only set up by um, Alex, I think, when he finished uni. So he's, I think he's six years older than me. So he would have finished maybe 20, 
11, I think. So the team is only 10 years old. And as a, as a men's team in that division... It's quite a small yeah, amount of time. We've got teams who have been founded in the 60s, 70s, 80s, who have proper infrastructure. They have a committee of committee members. They have the ground, whereas we ground share with North Greenford. We had, had ground share with, North, um, with Hanwell Town before. So yeah, we are a young club in that sense. And that is the biggest barrier, is having relationships with commercial companies and stuff to... Because I guess one of the other, yeah. like, it was a very small way of getting that funding, but it's being successful in cup competitions because obviously yeah. through cup competitions, there's financial reward. Yes. But yeah. again, that depends on the quality of the exactly. players, the team. So I don't, I don't think we were in the FA Vars last season. I can't remember. Because it means a lot to the small teams. Yeah. It yeah. means a lot. Like if you win the first round in the FA Vars, I think it's like 500. Yeah, I think between is, five and 800 pounds. Yeah, yeah, which is a good amount. Um, at the minute, yeah, we, we've got all kit at the minute, that's fine. But come next year, we'll probably need a new kit with a new sponsor on the front. And we offer like sponsorship of the match day programmes and there's all sorts. But yeah, it's, what, it's what, difficult. What, um, what, league, what's that, what league is it? On so the first team are in the Middlesex County Premier and the reserves are in the Middlesex County Division 1. So just one below. So they're, okay. so both fairly close to each other. Um, but yeah, it's, with sponsorship as well, it's like... It's a vicious cycle. So you want to build up your social media to attract commercial opportunities. And to build up your social media, you'll need, well, a lot of clubs will have like a VO camera or a camera on a, a big tripod that films the games. Yeah. Then you have clips, certain clips that go out, generate media and um, social media attention. And then that builds your following up. But we can't afford to have that equipment because we don't have the commercial sponsorship. Yeah, the commercial sponsorship would come if we if we grow our following. So it's very it's a bit of like yeah, but that cycle and also that kit, that stuff is very expensive. Oh, massively. Um, yeah. it, it can't be just like I mean, you could put a tripod up and a camera, but it won't capture the same. And it, they're right. they're made for sports games. Yeah. Right? So those VO cameras, uh, it's artificial intelligence, so it follows the ball. You don't need anyone manning it, but they're thousands of pounds, and you have to pay a monthly fee as well. So. We'd, we've looked at all sorts of odd ways of getting around it. So maybe getting like um, a temporary scaffold platform, putting a small tripod like this on that with someone like we, we advertise to unis that if there's anyone working in like um, sports, media. business, media, yeah. if they want to get involved, which we had a couple of people and then the season got cancelled again because of lockdown. Um, but there's, so there's a team who are entering, I think, Division One this season called Rising Ballers. Oh yeah, so they've been, they, they've had a lot of TV, haven't they? Massively, yes. They've got, their, the Instagram page Rising Ballers has tens of thousands of followers. Their team is Rising Ballers FC, which has tens of thousands of followers. They played Sunday League traditionally, and they're now entering our division, but they, they've played the game perfectly. Like they have a really good social media team, they film the games, they generate clips, they make it look really good and professional. So they- But don't they have some, cause I have seen some clips on Instagram and stuff and mm. I think like circle of circle, I used to being, having taught before in the past, I think there yeah. were some of them students that also play, oh, okay. playing for those. Yeah. Um, they have, I think they have some, uh, not A-list celebrities, but like B-list celebrities that, that yeah. play that, that also publish or, or help push that campaign yeah yeah so they do have a lot of involvement um because they've got i think they're on uh sky one is there there, they're on i'm sure they've been on tv they probably have all i've seen is the instagram um but yeah they they've obviously done really well to generate i don't know how it started 
they've obviously got a team now. They've got a lot of funding behind them, so it'll be interesting to. Yeah, I, I think they've been them. on. Um, they've been on TV, TV mm. but they do have a massive, massive following. Mm. I, I, we were saying before, like before we came on air, that um, growing a, a social media following is is quite challenging. Yeah, yeah, it is very challenging. No matter what line of work that you're in, mm. um, it it it's it's hard to to get those people to. Um, follow your activity and retain them too because mm. it's just a mm. touch of a button isn't it just yeah. follow unfollow yeah. um, and it's putting out that media for them that they're going to take want to extract yeah um, and now it like loads of business is done by that by like what's what's your pull what's your social media pull and it's such an easy way to measure yeah because pre before social media if you were a I don't know marketing manager or a company and you said oh we we have this pull of however many people in the local area. How would you prove that? Yeah. It would be so difficult. But now it's like, let's just look on your profile. Yeah, 10,000 followers, yeah, 2 yeah. million followers. Yeah, mm. that's true. I never looked at it in that way. And like you say, it's so easy to unfollow. Like, yeah, we're all guilty of it. You see something that's posted and you're like, oh, well, I don't want to see But this. But I wonder, because they're obviously, with all the stuff that's gone on, especially in football with racism and stuff, mm. I wonder mm. um, if there's going to be a change to uh, if you want to get on social media, that you have to prove your identity. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. how much of an impact that will have on businesses or people, Instagrammers. I think, I think a lot of companies will pay, well, they pay for followers now. Which that is that still a thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know people who have Pay. businesses and do. I told someone at work he was setting up his own business. And he was he was like mid forties, and he was asking like, oh, if if we set up an Instagram page, like, what should we do? I told him to buy followers. And I didn't think that did, ex but, existed anymore. But yeah, so that that'll obviously be removed because all of those bots, there'll be no way of them getting on the platforms. Yeah, so there are a lot of bots. And sometimes you can tell, like you can say, if if you're on a profile and it has fifty thousand followers, but it's only getting two, three hundred likes on each post, it's probably they're yeah. probably not real followers. But I, I think my understanding is that like that the interaction comes from commenting, um, the use of hashtags. Um, that's where you get to see, um, you kind of unlock like new levels because that yeah. in, that that will boost. I don't know your profile that will make people aware of you and stuff like oh, that. Oh, and it publish like on the algorithms. It'll yeah, put you that's on the, the, the second button in. I don't know what. That, like, is it the explore? The, the explore yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a tricky game. It's a very tricky yeah. game. And I think what what I've heard as well from people I know who are in well, that. I wouldn't I don't know if they'd call themselves influencers, but they said that for example, if you post a story with um with a poll like a yes or no that automatically gets people to like click yes or no then that counts as a engagement which means that that'll be published that their page will then be published more and more that's very so smart for you if you yeah, want to start i'm doing gonna put it up after polls, this like did you like this podcast jumps <laughs> and people will just put one or the other uh but, but that's true i guess because yeah, yeah. it, it gives you i mean it might not be relevant to you but it, it's mm. just the fact that you get the choice of yeah clicking yeah and like, we've all voted on crap that we don't care about yeah like, I try to think of an example, like a food page that puts dessert or main. You just yeah, tap yeah, yeah. It as you swipe No, you're not. You're not wrong. Um, what, what, what are the uh, what's the plans for you, um, career-wise, next six months or twelve months? Like, what do you want from from you for, for you, or what's personal goals? Uh, six, the next six months. Um, 
don't know. I'm quite happy the company I'm in now, the position. Um, so I only got to this position in October last year. So yeah, probably just continue. I mean, maybe mastering in, that role. Yeah, yeah. In twelve months, maybe try and progress to the next level. Um, but yeah, for for the six months, happy where I am. And what about your fitness goals now, um, moving forward? Because obviously the aim is to get that knee, yeah, and, like yeah. moving laterally and stuff. What What are your goals now for the next six months or twelve? I def- definitely want to become stronger. So I feel like. For example, when we're doing wads and stuff, I feel like I'm fairly fit. So I remember there was a wad where it was just rowing and V, v ups. Oh yeah, 50. And yeah, I, I, felt, I felt really good at that because there's no weights involved. But as soon as it comes to chucking a barbell in, that's where I really struggle. So I think I just need to really push, push heavier weights and try yeah. and get stronger. Consistent in kind of loading that barbell relevant to yeah. you and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Perfect. Jack, thank you very much for your time today. It's been good thank talking you for to you. Me. Guys and girls, see you again next week.